ask a lot of questions? Only about 12 of you ask a lot of questions. Okay, what are some questions children ask? Why are we there yet? What else? What's for dinner? Well, I ask that too sometimes. <laughs> what? I'm bored, all right. What is it? Do I have to? Can I have a snack? <laughs> what else? How long till we get there? How come? These are, these are great questions, you know, like, I, I thought of a few, too. why is definitely on there, what is it, what are you doing, why do, I have to, why do I have to go to bed so early, you know, why do I have to do my homework, like, there's just questions, like, and we just, just 30 seconds here, and we came up with, like, probably 12 of them, Re- repetitive questions can be exasperated, it can be, just wear us down, just totally wear us down, people in service industry will sometimes say this, There's no such thing as a stupid question. Anybody work in service industry? Is there such a thing as a stupid question? Yes, there is. There is. There are several of them, and they do exist, okay? But not all questions are bad. Do you know that God himself asks a lot of questions? Really? Yeah. God himself, look through the Bible, and you will find the Bible is filled with questions that God himself asks. And today I want to preach on this topic. Pay attention to the question. You see, having completed my master's program, I have sat in a lot of classes and taken a lot of tests. Any of, anybody have a test coming up this week? <laughs> yes. Yes. We got tests all over. Look at that. All right. So you guys know you're preparing for a test. Hopefully you're preparing for the test. When taking a test, there have been times I've gotten an answer wrong because I glanced down and I thought I knew what the question was and I just circled the answer, wrote the answer in without going, oh, wait a second. Yep, you're with me on that? All right. Only to find out it was asking something different and I was careless and assuming I thought I knew the question and I just put the answer down without taking time to really read it. It's very important to pay attention to the question. And when it comes to the Word of God, it's even more important to, t- to pay a- attention to the question. Take a look at just some of these because I think that we can learn a lot by the question. Kind of like when someone is asking you questions, if you listen, you can learn a lot about the person just by the questions they ask. Okay? If I'm looking to hire someone and they say, do I ever have to work overtime? Do I have to work Saturdays? Like, right off the bat, I'm like, eh, so I'm not liking these questions. But Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, it says, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord among the trees. And the, and the Lord God called to man, and he said... Where are you? Okay, 
Did God not know? Did the omnipresent, omniscient God, was he like, hey, we're just playing head and head and seek. Adam, I can't find you. I give up. Why did he ask the question? Verse 10, he replied and said, well, Adam says, I heard you walk in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. And, and he says, well, who told you you were naked? Did God not know? And then the Lord God said, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Did God not know? The man replied, well, it was the woman you gave me. <laughs> when in doubt. <laughs> Men are like, I wanted to say amen, but I was scared. Verse 13, then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? And the serpent deceived me. See, book of, book of beginnings, passing the buck. When your little child says, he did it, she did it. It started way back in Genesis. We're just continuing on. God asks four rapid fire questions. Where are you? Who told you you were naked? Did you eat of the tree? And what have you done? Adam and Eve had fallen for the serpent's sales pitch, disobeyed God, invited sin not only into their lives, but into the whole world, and they hid themselves, and God says, where are you? It's not like he didn't know. He sees all. He knows all. He, God was really asking this, Adam, do you know where you are? Then God proceeds to ask those next question and questions, and God asked four questions that he already knew the answers to, but why? It is apparent that God was asking questions about their situation to get them to contemplate their choices. Next round of questions comes just right after this. Adam and Eve had some kids named Cain and Abel. And Genesis 4 tells us Adam had sexual relationships with his sexual relations with his wife Eve. She became pregnant. She gives birth to Cain. She says, "Wow, I produced a man with the Lord's help." Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Abel was a shepherd. Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. It wasn't just the fact that there was a lack of blood. It was the fact that God expects our best, not our leftovers. And the Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but Cain, he didn't accept the gift. Made Cain very angry, and God says, why are you so angry? Did God not know? He created Cain. Did he not know, Cain, was he trying to play the role of a counselor and get in and understand really what he was thinking? No, he created the brain that Cain was using to function. And so then God says, why do you look so dejected? Did God not know? You will be accepted if you just do what's right, he says. And he says, let's go out into the fields. And while they're in the field, Cain took what God asked him. And he went the opposite direction and killed his brother Abel. And afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? 
Did God not know? Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? Which, thank God, I'm not God, because if I asked Titus where Jude was, and Titus said, it ain't my day to watch him. <laughs> I talked about parenting on Wednesday. I would have to take a deep breath, go into the other room, and gather myself. <laughs> but the Lord said, what have you done? Did God not know? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me. He says, you're cursed now, banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you'll be homeless wanderer on the earth. It's interesting. Just like his parents, God asks Cain four questions. He asked Adam and Eve four questions. He asked Cain four questions. And he asked the exact, he starts with the exact same question, what have you done? His last question to Eve was, what have you done? Next question in Genesis 4 starts with, what have you done? At some point, if you can't provide a question, that, the answer to the question that God is asking you, your child is going to be faced with the same question. But once again, it's not like God didn't know. He didn't lose track of Cain and Abel. God was trying to get Cain to examine his heart. Kind of like you would go to your child and say, um, can I ask you a question? Did you brush your teeth today? You know they didn't brush their teeth. But what are you doing? You're giving them the chance to go, but if they stand and say, yes, I did, and you go, really? Why does your breath smell like it does? Let's go upstairs and see if your toothbrush's head is wet. Let's see if there's toothpaste in the sink, because Lord knows you never rinse it down anyway. Look what God, when God calls Moses. Moses had left Egypt and he wasn't too keen on returning. Well, because last time Moses was in Egypt, he knew who he was. And he saw an Egyptian soldier striking an Israelite. And, and he goes up to that Egyptian soldier and he kills him. And so now he's a fugitive and, and a wanderer. And he's running from Egyptian authorities, even though he was raised in the daughter of Pharaoh's house. And so he says, I got to get out of here. Now I'm a murderer. I got I to gotta go to the wilderness. And he goes to the wilderness and finds Zephora. And he, and he gets married and has, and has kids and, and all that stuff. But Moses, God calls Moses to be a deliverer. And Moses was a little nervous and possibly insecure. Moses starts arguing with God about not being qualified. You don't want me. Do you know who I am? I don't have much to offer. Man, does that sound familiar at times? He's telling God all the things that he can't do. And so God starts reminding Moses about who really has the power. And look how he starts. He starts by doing that, by asking a question. Exodus 4, 1, Moses protested again and said, well, what if they don't believe me or listen to me? Or what if they say the Lord never appeared to you? And, and, and the, then the Lord asked him, he said, what's in your hand? 
did God not know? Was God blind and he was just like, what, 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 what are you holding right now? No, God knows. And Moses answers, says, well, it's a shepherd's staff. And God says, throw it on the ground. And Moses threw down the staff and it turned to a snake and Moses jumped back. That's where I would have retired from the job. I'd have said, now you're definitely finding somebody else because I ain't. But he throws down the staff. It's amazing what God can do with what's in our hand when we will release it into his power. So he throws it down and it becomes a snake. And now God says, reach out and grab its tail. <laughs> How many of you would have been going back as the <laughs> deliverer? How many of you would have taken off. So Moses reached out, grabbed it, turned back to a shepherd's staff in his hand. Perform this sign, the Lord said. And he starts saying, when you go in, I'm going to use this. And God saw the rod. It's not like God somehow missed this, but the rod, it, wasn't, it, was, it was not a foreign object to God. But I find it interesting that the first questions that we examine in scripture, God is asking humankind, what's in your hand? Adam and Eve, what's in your hand right now? Moses, what's in your hand right now? See, God has a plan for our lives, and the outcome of that plan, in all, it's, it's often going to be dictated by the answer to that question. Hey, guys, what do you have in your hand right now? You are always going to have something in your hand. Now, I don't mean necessarily literally. Some of you are like, no, I'm sitting here right now. I got nothing in my hand. But I'm talking about in your life, in your dreams, in your journeys, there's always going to be something in your hand. And what is in your hand is going to lead you one direction or another. And when God asked them that question, it was to, to get them to, to consider not only that moment, not only today, like what's in my hand right now, but also where am I heading? Where am I going from here? God will still ask us to examine where we are headed. He will sometimes do this through his word. Other times through prayer when you're talking to him. Sometimes it's through a preacher like this morning. And other times God asks the question to the preacher, him or herself. And that's always fun. You see, when God called Jonah to Nineveh, Jonah questions God. You see a pattern here? Even those who are called by God sometimes, hear me please, even though who, those who are called by God sometimes will struggle with their calling before their response. The key is, don't forget that it is about the mission and not about us. You see, because Moses quickly understood his role in God's mission Jonah got stuck in his own will and never really got out of the way. He didn't think Nineveh should be saved. Nineveh was a violent neighbor that no doubt had killed many people, probably some of their own friends and family. And so he was like, they don't, what are you talking about? Go preach to Nineveh, kill them, strike them down. They don't deserve to be saved. Do you know what they've done? And so he didn't want to do that. 
And so he reluctantly goes. You might hear have heard about Jonah and the whale and spewing him up and all this stuff. It's a big fish, whatever. You can argue that later. But he finally reluctantly goes and he preaches. But he still in his mind is like, I'm going to go find me a nice shady tree and I'm going to watch the fireworks. I know the story, fire and brimstone, it's coming, and I got a front row seat, and these people deserve it. And so Jonah doesn't care about a nation. He doesn't care. In the meantime, God, go ahead, go, he goes ahead, and he wilts the tree, the shady gourd tree that he's hanging under, and he wilts it, and, and Jonah is just furious. But first, he's furious that God is even considering delivering Nineveh. And God, he, he looks at Jonah in Jonah 4, 4, and he says, the Lord replied and says, is it right for you to be angry about this? Why is God asking Jonah this question? Because his question is getting humanity to examine their, their own selves. Is it right for you? I want to save these people. I saved you from the big fish. Is it right for you to be angry about this? And then just a couple verses later, he goes ahead, he wilts the tree, it dies there, he loses his shade. You ever gone to a 4th of July picnic? It's like 111 degrees outside. And so people bring like an umbrella or something. You know how you'd feel if somebody walked up and just ripped your umbrella and just busted it in half? Your Christianity would be tested. Well, he thought he was going to watch fireworks, and, and, and he, so he's got his tree, and God wilts and, and kills the tree, and Jonah is furious. And God says just five verses later, 4-9, he says, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Jonah says, yes, even angry enough to die. <laughs> Men in their temper sometimes. It's like, come on, we are not... <laughs> We're not logical beings when we get angry sometimes. But do you notice, 4-4, four, four, he's angry that God's going to save Nineveh, and God says, is this some? you really, you're going to be angry about this? Five verses later, he goes, now hang on, now it's, is, is it okay to be angry about the tree? Because you're not angry, you're, you're angry I'm going to save a whole nation, but you're furious I'm going I'm I'm to take your tree. Why was God asking these questions? It was not because he was going, I just don't understand, Jonah. Let's examine the inner workings of your, why don't you just, you just take a moment to just, let's work through this. God knew him. He understood him. But the question was, Jonah, your heart's not right. You see, God was trying to get Jonah to examine his heart. Jonah, are you missing something here? You're not angry if, if, if I destroy a whole nation, but you are angry if I destroy a tree. Jonah, something's not right. Something's not right. Jonah missed it. I could, I even angry enough to die. It's interesting so far. You look at these questions, and God will typically ask the following questions. 
what's in your heart and what's in your hand? What's in your heart and what's in your hand? I believe he's asking the same question here in 2022 to a room full of people and people watching online. What's in your heart and what's in your hand? Because what God is able to do or not do with you and I is first and foremost dictated by what's in our heart. Because if your heart is not pure, it's just a matter of time. You think you're fooling something, somebody, you think you're hiding something, you're slick. It's just a matter of time and your sins will find you out. That's not a threat. That's just a call to repentance. And so it starts with our heart. But even if our heart is pure, God cannot accomplish his will in our lives until we look at what's also in our hand. What do I mean? Well, the tools that we have been given are enough. I want someone to just stop questioning whether or not you are good enough, smart enough, strong enough, anointed enough. <clears throat> I mean, we got a room full of people, and even those watching online, that you just, just what's in this room, just here right now, do you know just with what is right here, God could change the entire world. Literally, with just the people sitting here right now, if we just completely went crazy for God and pursued him more than anyone or anything else and, and prayed and fasted and sought his word and dedicated ourselves and, and we, just, we just said nothing else is going to matter for as long as I'm living and breathing, as long as this blood is pumping, nothing else is going to matter. Just right, just with what's right here, we could change the whole world. So it's not just what's in our heart, but he's looking at people going, stop questioning. And, and, and guess what? Throughout scripture, it happens. Well, yeah, but I don't know. The, what's in your hand? We see it in the New Testament. Well, the, bring five loaves and two fish. That ain't going to feed everybody. Well, just give it to me. Watch what I can do with it. If we would just take what's in our hand and stop saying, I just don't have enough. I'm never going to be good enough. I'm never going to be smart enough. I'm never going to be talented enough. I don't have what it takes. And just say, you know what? I'm going to go down and teach my first Sunday school lesson. I'm going to go sing my first song. I'm going to get involved somewhere. I'm going to start serving. I'm going to start dedicating whatever he has given me. I'm not just going to sit here and do nothing with it. I'm going to take what he's given me, and I'm going to start to sow some seeds somewhere. I'm going to start to plant and till some ground. I'm just going to see what God can do with what I have. If your heart is right and you're willing to work in God's kingdom and plan, you will find that you have been given enough. Don't second guess God. Go and trust him. If he's called you, he's going to equip you. If he has called you, he will equip you. See, you, you flip to the New Testament and we see the questions continue. By the way, we're not going through every question in the Bible. That would be a 17-week series, but... Jesus died on a cross. He rose from a grave. People are still mourn, mourning. They're fearful. And his followers are scattered and wondering what they're supposed to do next. Mary Magdalene shows up at the tomb of Jesus and she finds an empty tomb. 
She's weeping. She thinks somebody took the body of Jesus. Oh, But look what the angels say to her. John 20, 11, Mary was standing there crying as she stooped and looked in, and she saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. And the angels ask a question now. Dear woman, why are you crying? Did the angels not know? They named, the angels knew too. He said, she said, because they take away my Lord, and I don't know where they've put him. And she turned to leave and saw someone standing. Notice the angels didn't give the answer. She saw someone standing there, and it was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. And Jesus says, dear woman, same question the angels just asked. Why are you crying? Did he not know? And he says, who are, you, uh, who, who are you looking for? Did Jesus not know? <laughs> Jesus knew. So I asked the question. She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you put him and I'll go and get him. Mary. Sometimes when Jesus calls us by name, that's where we recognize him. She turned him and she cried, Rabboni, which means teacher. She called out. She has this recognition of who Jesus is when he calls her by name. You see, Jesus asks the same question. But the Lord's questions are not to enlighten him. They were to enlighten her. Then after his resurrection and before his ascension, Jesus spoke to his followers about the power they would soon receive by receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, same thing. And Jesus was taken away up in a cloud out of sight and his followers continued standing there and we know this is the Great Commission and you read even in the book of Acts, the first chapter of Acts that records it. And so he speaks to them and he gives them instruction about how they're going to be in an upper room, wait here, the promise is coming and, and, and they're still just like... Which I guess I could imagine. Let's not make fun of them. If Jesus just died on the cross, went to the tomb, rose again, ascended up into heaven, we probably would still be like. Yeah. Jonah would still be looking for a gourd tree, but <laughs> everybody else would be well, like, they're just, they're just like, wow, watching this. And Acts 1.9 says, after saying this, he was taken up in a cloud. While they were watching, they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him, Rising into heaven. Two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Did they not know the answer? I think they would say, well, duh. They knew the answer. But why would, they, why would the angels ask this question? Why are you standing here, guys? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he's going to return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. This was more than a question. It was a statement of faith-filled fact on the strength of this statement. The followers were supposed to do something now. They were standing here just staring, and the Lord had said, 
You're going to wait in Jerusalem for the promise that I have been preaching, teaching, telling you about. And that is, my wife touched on it, that I'm not going to dwell behind the wings or between the wings of the cherubims, between or behind a veil. I'm not going to dwell there anymore. Mary, there was a reason why an angel sat at the right and sat at the left, and the body was in the middle, guess what? The Ark of the Covenant, the angel sat on the right, sat on the left, and you'd pour the blood and the mercy seat in the middle. Jesus Christ was now the mercy seat. He was the one that shed the blood. And he says, hey, I'm not dwelling behind the, 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 the curtain anymore. I've now not just given you access to me, but I've come out to be with you. And so you need to go to an upper room and wait there in Jerusalem because everything I have been telling you about is fixing to happen right now. And Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 tells us about the day of Pentecost had fully come. They were all gathered in one court, one place, 120 people, including Mary, the mother of Jesus. They're there. And the Bible says that the sound of a rushing mighty wind began to come into that place. And every single one of those 120 people, including his own mother, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. You think I'm crazy? Go check it out. Acts 2, 1 to 4. It's the birth of the New Testament church. And God had always he's been desiring to do this and so he 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 fills them with his spirit for the first time we see people speaking in other tongues and receiving the spirit of god this way and by this time people had gathered around and they're standing they're thinking who are these guys they don't speak different languages are they drunk people what's going on here and peter stands up with the 11 and begins to preach an entire message all about jesus and they feel pricked in their heart, Acts 2.37 says. And they, and they look at Peter and they know, wow, we put Jesus to death. And Jesus, was God manifest in flesh, and he was our Savior, and he shed his blood. We messed up. What are we supposed to do? There's another question. And Peter clearly says, he said to them, repent and be baptized. I'll tell you what to do. It's very easy. He says, repent of your sins. Be baptized in the name, the name that we're talking about, the name that I just got done preaching about, he says. I just got done telling you all about Jesus. And, and now's the time to, to get baptized in that name. Not later, not tomorrow, not like, let me think about it. You just asked me, what should I do? I'm telling you what you should do. You should repent. You should be baptized in his name. And then he will do the exact same thing that you just heard us doing and speaking in tongues and filling us with his spirit he will do that same thing for you and so today where does this all lead us this this culminates right here as we look through these yes there were different situations with Cain and Abel and Adam and Eve and Moses and Jonah and all these people but it really culminates in just a couple of questions that we see him ask his people over and over and over again and that is in that same questions he's asking us right here as we close this service what's in your heart that's where it starts repentance god i don't want this junk in my heart anymore lord i'm sorry i don't want to try and hide this or learn to live with this god i want to bring it to you and i want to repent i want to i want to receive that forgiveness you died on the cross 
so that I can have access to come and talk to you today. God, forgive me. Forgive me. But then also, what's in your hand? And then what should you do with that? You see, if you've never been, if you've never repented of your sins, this is not some in-depth thing you have to go through catechism classes or long six-week course or, you know, you have to read a pre-prepared words that I've written on, on paper that you have to read my prayer. No. You can come before God and you can sound eloquent if you want. Oh, by God in heaven, hallowed, Lord Jesus, whatever. You can come and say, God, I am a knucklehead. I screwed up again, and I just don't even know what I'm doing. I need your help. Well, like, whatever that is. God, I just, I'm so sick of living like I'm living. And even if you're like, well, I'm not really much of a sinner. I'm a pretty decent person. Well, the Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so every one of us, if you sin one time, you're a sinner. You need Savior, and you need grace. God, forgive me. I am so sorry. If you've never been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, this is clean, warm water here. I just tested it this morning. Added some chlorine. It's beautiful. There's clothes to change into, changing rooms. You can repent of your sins. That's the only prerequisite. I've repented and I believe Jesus Christ is my Savior and I want to live a life where I am in pursuit of Him. We can baptize you this morning in that beautiful, precious name of Jesus. But then he doesn't end there. He says, I want to put my spirit inside you. I don't want to dwell in a temple, in a tabernacle anymore, hiding out behind a veil. You're my people. You're the one that I died for. I want to be inside of you. I want to be with you. I want my spirit to be in you. And Peter said exactly what we have to do. And if you have followed God's plan for your salvation, these initial things, then we must not only regularly examine what is in our heart, we also have to be ready and willing to use whatever he's put in our hand. God did not fill you with his spirit just to sit on some nice new chairs at a Pentecostal church and feel good about yourself because of all the things he delivered you from. God filled you with his spirit and that's why he says, what's in your heart, what's in your hand? What's in your heart, what's in your hand? I got to get something in my hand that I say, oh, it might not be my, it might just be a staff. It might, whatever it is that God has put in my hand, I have to be willing to release that. If it's five loaves and two fish, if it's a staff, I got to be willing to say, God, I'm not going to just hold on to this with everything I got. Whatever it is, I want to release it and put it into your hands so that you maybe could deliver Nineveh. You maybe could deliver people after 430 years of bondage in Israel. Maybe you could just have me talk to the barista at, at Starbucks or, or no, maybe, maybe I could just go to my neighbor. Maybe I could talk to that coworker this week that, that I could tell has been going through something. You know, I don't know too much about the Bible, but I'm sick of holding on to my staff and just nothing's going to happen if I cling to the staff. But if I can say, God, I want my heart to be right, but I want whatever's in my hand, even if it seems insignificant, Lord, I want to release it to you because I want you to take this and I want you to further your kingdom. I want you to reach someone, deliver someone, empower someone. You see, God's questions are usually not for information. They are typically for empowerment. 
And that's why when God says, hey, what's in your hand? What's in your heart? He's asking you questions today that could cause you to find an altar and say, all right, God, I know you know me. So if I'm hearing a preacher preach about the questions you have for me, it's not because you lost me somewhere along the line. It's because you want me to find a place before I walk out these doors and say, God, what's in here that shouldn't be? What's in here that needs to be? What's in this hand that I need to release to you, God? What am I trying to hold on to that you're calling for? What have you told me to let go that I keep holding on to? What are you asking for that it's time to put in your hands and watch you do miraculous things? Oh, I only got one talent. Then, then put that talent in his hands and see what he does with it. Would you stand to your feet? Oh God, he wants to empower you by filling your heart with this spirit and then equipping and empowering your hand to do a mighty work for his kingdom. But I believe the question that I leave you with today is what will you do with what you just heard? That's what Peter said. I mean, he got done preaching. They're like, what are we supposed to do? Because preaching always leads to some form of response. That's why they couldn't sit and hear a message about what Jesus was calling them to do and go, interesting, thank you, and walk out. Some people do that every Sunday. But I tell you, that's not the will of God. Whatever's preached, God, our worship prepares our heart for his word. His word deals with us and then calls us to some form of of a response. Sundays here are for inspiration. Inspiration does not mean just inspire you to feel good about yourself for the upcoming week. I hope you do. But inspiration is inspiring us to respond in some way, shape, or form. And so for some, if I was you, I would pay attention to the question. Because so, like so many in the Bible, where you are going in your life is directly correlated to these questions. What's in your heart? What's in your hand? If you're here and you say, I've never repented, I've never done that, I've never been baptized in his name, I've never received the spirit. What doth hinder thee? The man that was traveling in the the desert, he says, here's water, what's keeping me from getting baptized? He's like, nothing, let's do it. Here's water. What's keeping you from getting baptized? What? I can't answer that question for you. I just ask, I just, hear me, I just ask the question. God could have forced everybody in humanity to do exactly what he wanted. But he always asked the question to get them to ponder. What's in my heart? What's in my hand? What's God calling me to do? What's he calling me to relinquish? What's he calling me to grab a hold of? And then it's up to you. So today, pay attention to the question because I'm not going to answer your question for you. But God is asking questions to some people today who he's calling to wash away their sins. He's calling you into a deeper level of ministry. But you've been sitting here saying, well, I'm not good enough. Well, what am I going to say? I don't really have much. He's going, what's in your hand? What do you got right now? Give it to me. And that... It's so hard sometimes. Got to pry those fingers open. But God's calling for some things. He's calling for you. I'm telling you today, 
Let's begin to find a place to pray. And you know what? The question might not be the exact same for every person. That's the beauty of the word, the preached word, is right now there's a chance that there's something in your heart, in your spirit, in your mind that you're kind of contemplating, and it's totally different than the person who's in front of you, behind you, the side of you. But it's a question that God is laying on your heart, and He's calling you to respond this morning. I invite you right now to not just walk out and say, oh, that was interesting, but to begin to ponder, God, all right, what questions are you asking? What are you asking of me? I want to respond this morning. I want to respond this afternoon, I should say. I want to respond. I want, I want to hear from you, God. I want, God, what is it that you want to do? What do you want to accomplish in me? I don't want to restrict you from the fullness of what you're able to do. God, I want to, I want to think about where I'm at and who you're calling me to be, and I want to, I want to release that to you, Jesus.